We are in the third week of a series called Eyewitness. It's about God changing hearts. And we have a chance to come alongside and be a part in that. God changing hearts. You know, Hudson Taylor, a missionary in the 1800s, probably knew that better than anybody. Few others had a better understanding of how to come alongside of God in his plans to accomplish his works. He was a missionary who decided to go to China. He had a call to go to an area of China that nobody had been to. And when he went, he went with unique methods. Most of the missionaries were going out and they were saying, let me show you how to be a Westerner like me. Let me show you how to live life like you would if you lived in England, that kind of a thing. And when he went out, he said, it's not about that. It's about your life, your way, your culture, your style in China. But it's about the God of the universe, not your little G gods. Let me introduce you to the God of the universe while you live in your culture. They ended up wearing clothes just like everybody else did there in China. The uh, robing style. They ended up eating what they were eating. They ended up going through everyday life just like they did. But they worshipped the one true God. You know, there was uh, over 125 schools that were established through China Inland Mission. That's the organization that he established. 125 schools with thousands and thousands of lives touched in that. There were over 18,000 people that came to Christ through Hudson Taylor's ministry. He saw over 800 missionaries come to China and learn to do this style of missionary work. Huge, vast efforts done. He was approached by someone and they said, how did you know what to do? How did you know where to go? And he said, I'll tell you this. You have three choices when it comes to planning. Number one, you plan, you do your strength. Number two, you plan, then you pray for God to try to support you in that and give you power and strength to do your plan. Number three, you figure out what God's plan is. And you come alongside of the Almighty and watch Him work. And that's what I chose to do. We are here to glorify God. Let's take Hudson Taylor's example. And let's move into our challenge as we look at eyewitness. How in the world can we go about sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is? Not where it's our plan in our way. Or our plan and we ask God to bless it as we go bolting out the door. But God's plan. Who are you working with? What words do you want said? How can I come alongside of God Almighty and watch him change lives? That's what we're going to see today as we look at Jonah chapter 3. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. Love to get one to you if you don't have one. We're going to be going verse by verse through Jonah chapter 3. So just raise your hands and the ushers will get a Bible to you, okay? Just raise your hands and they'll get one to you. Give them a chance and they'll get there. Jonah chapter 3. Remember, we're answering the questions, how can I come alongside of God and his work and his planning and watch him change this world? Our first point, it's our job. Faithfully share what God wants with whom God wants. This is the our job part of it. Faithfully share what God wants with whom God wants. Okay, let's take a look at that in the first few verses here. I'll just read the verses first. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, 
three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Those are the first four verses. Our job, faithfully share what God wants with whom God wants. Let's just take a look real quickly here. If we go back into chapter 2, verse 10, we have to catch the context of what's going on, right? Remember, we've got this whole situation where in chapter 1, Jonah was told or commanded, arise, go to Nineveh, it's time to share with them. Jonah says, no thanks, I know what's going on with Nineveh, decadent, not following you, not about the God of the Jewish faith, and pretty wicked to beat, I'm going the other direction. So he headed out due southwest instead of northeast. And Jonah, as he's running, God brings the storm, the storm that shakes even the sailors to the core. Hearts and lives are changed as the sailors finally come to the understanding that it is this God, the God of Jonah, the God who watches over the sea, that God is changing lives. And in the midst of it, all the sailors come to know him. Jonah, he ends up in the fish, right? And it takes him three days in that fish before he finally realizes it's time for me to plead with all I've got. And he ends up recognizing and apologizing and celebrating who God is. And last week we went through Jonah chapter 2, where he went through the whole prayer saying, you are amazing. And he ended with this statement in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And in that moment of recognition, who God is, what his authority is, what his role is, in that moment, verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Done. Have you ever noticed that? When God's working with us, he works with us all the way up until the moment we absolutely, finally, really get it. Problem done. Circumstances removed. Pressure's off. He said, great, you've passed the class. You've grown. You've been shaped. Jonah was shaped. The messenger was prepared. That's Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. The messenger was not only prepared, the messenger was delivered to dry land. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, then, right, it's following all of this. It's really important. He didn't just send him into Nineveh. He worked with the heart of this person and got him prepared. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word is, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Arise and go to Nineveh. It's the same words that he heard in chapter 1. It's the same exact request from God. We serve a God of second chances, don't we? We serve a God of forgiveness and mercy. And when he calls upon us and we fail, he says, no, not quite like that. Let me help you out in understanding this. And he moves us through and he shapes us and he grows us. And somehow he brings us right back to the same spot. And he says, now, arise and go to Nineveh. He gives us that chance to get it right. And as he works with us and shapes us and grows us, he then delivers us up to watch his hand work. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Notice what he doesn't say. Go to Nineveh and say whatever you want. Go to Nineveh and just give it a good shot. Let's see what happens. Hey, go to Nineveh and try to say to them what I had Amos say when he was talking. That's not what he said, right? He said, I've got a message for you to share. I want you to go share it. 
I'll give it to you when you need it. But right now, you just need to know you have 600 miles of walking. It's time to start moving. Go to Nineveh, right? So he's moving all the way from Joppa back up into the northern kingdom of Israel, all the way back up around, down the Tigris River, all the way over to Nineveh. 600-mile walk. Do you think he had some thinking to do on the way? Do you think along the way he might have been thinking, I wonder what I'm going to say. I wonder what I'm going to say. Hey, God, maybe we could talk now. 600-mile walk. I got a little bit of time, you know? That kind of, and God's saying, you'll get it when you get it. Just hang on. You're still being shaped. And Jonah's walking, moving, and trying to learn. Now, somewhere in that 600-mile walk, God does share with him what to say. We end up seeing him step in and in verse 3. It says, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. And here's the beautiful thing. If you look back at chapter 1, it says, arise and go to Nineveh. And it says, so Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. Right? Like, no thanks. And this one he says, so arise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. God at work. There's a heart who's now in alignment with him. And as he moved towards Nineveh, it says, according to the word of the Lord in full obedience. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, not just a city, not just a great city, but an exceedingly great city. There was a lot going on with Nineveh, a lot of importance and also a lot of size. Three days journey it took, it says, in breadth. Now, some of you have the NIV and it actually starts talking a little bit more to importance there. It talks about because it's an important city, it takes three days to traverse. It's not quite clear what was meant here in the Hebrew, but it's one of two things. Either this city had so much political importance and so many different angles that you had to move through and talk with people and go to this place and then talk to that place and so many different high-ranking officials that it would take you three days to get through it, or it was sheer size. One way or another, it took you three days to get through that city and that's the end of it, okay? So we have a city of vastness and importance and as Jonah's moving through, it takes him three days to get through it. Question, why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? I mean, why not send him to some city in Israel? I mean, if we're going to change hearts, why not change some hearts of some Jewish people? He's a prophet to the Jews. Why is God sending somebody 600 miles away to a decadent Gentile city? What's going on? Well, let's keep in mind that it's a little bit before 750 BC. And God has already said through the prophet Amos, there will be judgment upon Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel sp splits into two kingdoms. The northern remains called Israel and the southern is called Judah, Israel and Judah. Israel gets taken captive by Assyria and the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. So what's God doing? He's saying, guess what? I'm going to be cleaning up my people. But to clean up my people, I need a vessel. I need a tool. And I'm going to be working with the Assyrians. I'm going to be working with Nineveh. And I'm telling you this. They will know me. I want these people to know me in and out, personally and deeply. And as they know me, I will use them mightily to come back in here and work with Israel. Do you see what's happening? So Jonah's going, I don't even know why I'm going to Nineveh. Why would I go that far away? God's saying, you wouldn't even believe the plans that I have. This is all coming back to Israel. Don't you worry. This has great import to my people. But I'm telling you, in the midst, 
many more people are coming to know me. That's what's going to happen. Why Nineveh? Because God's got plans. How often do we need to realize that God's got plans? Jonah needs to come alongside of God and his plans and be able to share with who he wants, when he wants, what he wants. That's the call going on in these first four verses. Now, Jonah gets there and he has a message to send. Jonah began to go into the city. He goes in a day's journey. Can you imagine that? You're walking for a full day through the city and he's got this message. His message is, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, social tact, right? You walk into a city, nobody knows who you are. You're probably dressed a little differently than them. And you walk in and the first thing you say is, hey, just so you know, 40 days and this place is being overthrown. Kim, nice to meet you. Then he moves on. Hey, just so you know, 40 days and overthrown. This city's going to be overthrown. Do you understand me? You've got 40 days. That's where I'm going with this. 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Do you hear me? And each place he went, he had one sentence. That was his message. And as he moved, what would you expect to happen? You would kind of expect a little bit of upsetness, wouldn't you? You would expect people to sort of stir up and go, what's with that guy? Did you see, did he get in your face? He got in my face. Did he get in your face? That guy's like all over the place and all he keeps doing is yelling at people and telling us we have 40 days, right? That's what you'd expect is some people collecting together and whining and complaining. A little bit of gathering against. That's what Jonah expected. As a matter of fact, he probably expected to die because this city was known for violent treatment of those that came against him. As he went through, you can only imagine that he did one of these. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> 40 days. That's what you got until you're overthrown. I'm just telling you. Message. 40 days. 40 days until you're overthrown. That's the message. And then he continued to walk and share and walk and share. God's message called to the place that God wanted it when he wanted it. That's what we need to be about with our job is going hard after sharing who, with who God wants, when God wants. You know, all too often it's hard for us to know what the message is. I mean, we know the gospel message and we're going to be talking in two weeks about how to better share that gospel message. We're going to take a whole, a whole morning to just work through how do I go about sharing with friends? How do I do that? We're going to do that in two weeks. Jonah was given a special message from God that he needed to share. Honestly, thank the Lord we don't have to share this message. That's kind of where I'm at, right? I mean, do you agree with me? Man, that's quiet. Do you agree with me? Would you like to go into Peoria and go, hey, Peoria, 40 days. That's all you got. I mean, how long does it last until you get a good whipping? You know what I mean? That's what we're talking about. He had to face that with all he had. At least we get to step in with a message of hope and a message of joy. Jonah stepped in with a message of doom. This is what it is. Now, a little side note. He did say 40 days. Do you hear it? What he didn't say is, you're done for, no hope, it's all over. He said, in 40 days. And I'll tell you this, what they heard was, there's still a possible chance, but you better get it right, and I mean fast. You have 40 days and the timer is ticking. Okay? That's the message that Jonah brought. You know, 
I was uh, working with a high school group years back, and uh, we sent our high schoolers to a uh, program in downtown Chicago. They worked with Moody Bible Institute, and they learned how to share their faith. So the first few days, these kids were shared with um, and how to share the gospel and fresh ways to think about it and ways to be praying for people. That was the first couple of days. And then they took the last several days and they went out and they did it. What they did is they split the group in half and half the group stayed in the gyms and they prayed and they prayed passionately. They prayed all different styles of prayers. They ended up doing popcorn prayers where you just kind of pray little phrases at a time. And then they ended up doing it kind of tennis style. They'd sit across the gym. One person would pray on this side, one on that side, one on this side, one on that side. They prayed for four hours while people were out sharing their faith. And the people that were out sharing had one job. Connect up with someone. Who is God calling you to? And what's he asking you to say? And there was a young high school boy. He was 17 years old. He uh, was scared to death, didn't know what to do. This was back when you could actually go to the airports and share without being in trouble. So he was in the airport and uh, he sat and he listened to a guy playing on the guitar. And this guy was just playing his guitar and singing some songs. And they were kind of sad songs. They were really not a lot of hope in them. But he listened. The guy was a great player and a great singer. He ended up throwing a buck in, and then he'd sit back down, and he's sitting there going, I feel like a loser. I'm not saying anything. I'm just sitting here. And finally, God kind of impressed on him, this is who I'm asking you to share with. So he ends up listening for a little bit while longer, and he steps up to the guy, and he says, hey, can I ask you a question? He says, yeah, and he goes, you love music, don't you? He goes, yeah, I do. He said, you love it a lot, don't you? He said, yeah. He said, how do you write all these songs? He said, I just write what I experience. I just write what I experienced, man. He goes, man, you've experienced some tough stuff. He goes, yeah, I have. He goes, what if I were to share with you a story that would blow your world, that it would change your life? What if I were to share with you the greatest story ever, ever told? What would you do? He said, man, I put that to music. And he said, well, let's do it. And he goes, great, let's do it. So he walked through the gospel message with him, shared of his need, that all of us as mankind come up short. That we all sin. We all make our mistakes. Share to the fact that there's a penalty for that. Eternal separation. Continue to share. There's hope though. Yes, we're all in one spot separated from God. But God Almighty chooses to offer a replacement payment of his own shed blood on the cross. If we embrace that forgiveness and we go hard after him with all we've got, there is new life in him. We are adopted as his children. What do you think of that story? And he goes, man, that's hope. And he said, well, what do you think? Do you want it? And he goes, I want it. So he ended up leading that guy to Christ right there. And after he led him to Christ, they sat and they spent a little bit of time writing the song. And as he was going away, this guy is singing a song about how he just accepted Christ as his savior. I have no idea who came past next, but let me tell you, they got a gospel message. Do you know what I'm saying? Does Jesus work? Does Jesus work? He is real in our lives. He is passionately involved in our lives. And he's going after us with all we've got. And we have simply one thing to share. The hope that we have in him and the difference he's making and letting that be known to somebody else. My question to you is this. Who is God asking you to share with? A couple of weeks back, we wrote down some names and we brought them up. If you weren't there for it, today's a great day to continue with that. Write down some names. Who might God be calling you to be sharing with? 
doesn't mean you run home, bash down the door and share it right now today. There might be some timing to it. But it does mean that you are very, very aware and praying and saying, God, what do you want shared and when do you want it shared and with whom do you want it shared? With whom is God calling you to share? And what is he asking you to share? You know, along the way of that gospel message, people get stuck at different points. And really, we can help them out if we just try to figure out where they're stuck. What doesn't make sense to them? What do they think is true that isn't true? And maybe help them through that one spot. It's walking through the gospel message and seeing with them where it doesn't make sense to them and helping them to get the grasp of that. It's God's work in changing their life. We just share the truth of what we believe. Are you ready to share with someone? Who is it? Are you ready for God to give you the special message? Even if it's something very artistic like, hey man, what if I gave you a song that could change your life? Maybe it's just real logical. Let me share with you what makes sense about God. That's our first challenge, our job. It's sharing what God wants with whom God wants. How do we come alongside of him? Share what God wants with whom God wants. The second point, his job. Oh, he's at work. His job. God works in softening hearts so that they will respond to him. God works in softening hearts so that they will respond to him. Listen to this. Jonah has just gotten done saying, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Probably should have been beat up for it. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed... Who? Who did the people of Nineveh believe? God. God. The people of Nineveh did not believe Jonah. That's not what it says. It says the people of Nineveh believed God. When hearts are being softened, let me tell you something. They are very aware of God's touch in their life. When hearts are being softened, they are moving towards him with all they've got. They may not quite understand it, but they are moving. In this moment, they believed God. And they saw his touch in this. They understood that it was a call, a call to change. It says they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Okay, they called for a fast. In other words, no food, no drink. They put on sackcloth. Do you know what sackcloth is? I never really exactly knew what it was. So I looked it up this week. There are a variety of forms, and man, do they get nasty. But the basic is this. You take really coarse animal hair and you weave it together into like a shirt kind of outfit. And then you put this on and it's so coarse that it ends up kind of sticking you and it makes it itchy. So if you're kind of getting the willies right now thinking about it, you got a good picture of it. Okay. Sackcloth. It's basically about being very uncomfortable. Okay. It's basically about take off whatever would have been nice to wear and put on that which will constantly remind you that it is time for a change. Sackcloth. They were made to be very uncomfortable. And they put themselves in that position. They ended up saying, no food, no water, no nice clothing. From the greatest of them to the least. It didn't matter who it was, everybody was turning. Where every, everywhere Jonah went, he said, you need to know 40 days overthrown. You need to know 40 days and overthrown. Then these two people start talking. They're like, we should do something about this. Maybe we should fast. Maybe we should even get dressed in different clothes and start walking around thinking, God, we're giving you our lives. And Jonah walks away going, 
what was that? Can you just imagine the moment as he's expecting to get the tar beat out of him? And instead he starts seeing people talking to each other and deciding together to do something about this. And more and more people are coming together and it crosses socioeconomic boundaries, the greatest to the least. All of them coming together saying, we need to fall on our knees before God. We need to fall on our knees before him. The word reached the king of Nineveh, verse 6, and he arose from his throne. This is quite the moment, okay? The word reached the king. Now, what the king should have said was, who is messing with my people? What the king should have said was, that's it. Somebody walks in saying that we are in trouble. That questions my authority and my ability. Bring that man to me. We're done. That's what should have happened. What happened instead was, check this out. The king arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. Are you hearing it? So picture this king is sitting on this stately throne, extremely comfortable, I'm sure. He's sitting in this thing and he ends up standing up from the throne of authority. He steps forward. He takes off regal, comfortable robes and sets those aside. He moves over. He puts on sackcloth, itchy animal hair, pointy, sticky, nasty stuff, and he ends up going out and sitting down in ashes. Can you see the difference? He's saying, I, with my life, am showing one thing. There will be a change. My life will be different. I am not living the same. I'm doing all I can to make a shift right now. He then decides, not good enough for me to do it, Verse 7, so he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, notice he's saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an animal or a human being. You're going to follow what I'm saying now. Get the drift. Here's where we're going. Neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, let them taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He basically says, I've got a few points for you guys. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one, everybody's included. Are we clear? Everybody's included. Number two, I'm saying this. I want you in a full fast. Nothing to be eaten nothing to be drunk. Number three, I want this to be included with sackcloth. You're going to be wearing the uncomfortable stuff. Number four, you will call out mightily to God. This is our opportunity to drop before our knees and not just act like it physically, but truly put our hearts and souls before the Lord saying, please, God Almighty, please hear us. We are willing to turn in all that we've done. We are willing to shape our lives after you. We will follow after you. How do you know he's saying follow after you? Well, because right after it, he says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Verse eight, this is about a heart, soul, and body change. This is about a moment where in one message, they have immediately shifted. One message, and they've immediately shifted. Let me ask you a question. Why would Nineveh, a decadent, arrogant, popular town, 
listen to a man who comes in saying, you're going to die in 40 days. Why not just kill the guy and move on? You know, I looked at this for a while this week, and I actually checked on a few things. Because here was my thought. God often works through circumstances. He softens hearts, and he does it through circumstances. We just saw it with Jonah, right? You end up getting thrown in the water. You end up getting swallowed by fish. These are softening moments. So what are the softening moments that were going on? Now, we don't know exactly for sure what was going on in their hearts, but here's a few things to note. From 810 to 783 B.C., there was a move towards monotheism that was going on, a one-God movement. Within Assyria, they were beginning to say, this many gods, little g-gods, it's ridiculous. There is one God and he's in charge of all. And they were beginning to shape the whole of Assyria towards this monotheism. Can you see it? In 722, it's basically in 740 and 722 BC, God's going to use them as the tool of the one God to go help shape Israel. And they're beginning to be shaped towards a one Godism around 800 BC. A little bit more than that, a little bit after that, there's a, a plague that comes in, 771 to 750. There's this huge plague. People are dying everywhere, food has become scarce. And in the midst of the plague, there begins to be a fear. There's an unsettledness. They're not sure what's going on. So now they've moved towards a one-godism, and then the plague hits. And they are really not sure what's happening. One more thing. 761 BC, there was a full solar eclipse that occurred over Assyria at that time. You know, the astronomers have done their thing where they go backwards in time and calculate, and they've marked where the solar eclipses would have occurred. 761 BC, they would have viewed that as... Doom is coming imminently. Something bad is happening here, okay? So we're in a moment where God has said, let me show you through nature that you've got some issues. Let me show you through circumstances that you better be listening. Let me tell you something. I am in charge, totally obscuring the sun. And then a man walks in and goes, 40 days till you're overthrown. And they go, we better do something. Can you see it? The hearts are being shaped. There's times where we walk in and we go, why in the world? What? All I said was, I've said that kind of thing to other people and they don't respond at all. And this person just drops and changes their whole heart and soul in life. What's going on? God is at work. That's what's happening. God is at work. And as he softens hearts and as he shapes souls and as he prepares them to hear a message, so we are then just called to be faithful to share that message. That's it. See, the great part of our job is you just show up. The real work is God's work. He's moving in the hearts. He's calling people to him. And all we need to do is go that way. That's it. That's our job. Just kind of a little point, a little bit of a, let me just tell you about the relationship I've got with him. And, th- and then God does all the changing. We have the great opportunity of being a part of God's working plan so that we can see his hands at work so that we can see him touch the heart and these people in assyria they stopped dropped and rolled do you know what i'm talking about like in that moment they heard fire and they went bam 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 and jonah's like wow you know what i'm saying that was a moment where he can only go okay what were you doing (laughs) right and he begins to walk away from it and he goes to the next area and just keeps sharing 40 days That's his message, right? 40 days, and then you will be overthrown. And everywhere, people are changing. 
You know, if you look at the end of this, their prayer, who knows, verse 9, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Their hope is that this statement of 40 days is really a statement of a merciful God. The statement of 40 days is a statement of hope. Maybe we can turn and come towards him with all we have. You know, we're praying over probably over a thousand names. That first week when we had people write down the names on the cards and you guys all brought them forward and dropped them off, there's a lot of names on there. And as the prayer team is praying over them and as we have them prayed on Sunday mornings and as we have them sent out to the prayer teams throughout the week, hopefully you're continuing to pray for your people as well. I've had people coming to me saying, you wouldn't believe the story of this person that I was praying for. Last week I had somebody come up who just said, you know what, there was a person I was praying for who I put their name down and uh, I went to talk to them that week and basically they said, you wouldn't believe what was going on with me this weekend. <laughs> it was one of those moments where you can either go, oh, I believe it, you know, and you sit there quietly or you say something. And this person had a great opportunity to lean in and just say, let me tell you what I've been doing for you, praying for you. And a great moment gets to occur where they see God's hand working in their life but they also get to see a friend coming alongside, sharing. There's a great moment that you can have as you pray for your friends. You know, I was talking to somebody else. They said, um, did you know that this person accepted Christ in the service? I said, no, I hadn't heard that. They said, unbelievable opportunity. They just decided to walk through this. We have handfuls of people who are understanding what God is doing in their life. And they're making a move to commit to him with all they've got. Do you understand? When we have hearts being turned in this service, when we have friends and family who are being touched, as we have the opportunity to continue to pray for names, know this, it is God's job as he's touching the heart. It is simply our job to just go, that's the way. That's who he is. That's all we have to do. To step out and fairly boldly be able to say, you should meet my God. He will blow your mind. God's job. He's at work softening hearts. He's at work right now. Softening your friends' hearts. Softening your neighbors' hearts. You know, we would call this a red apple versus a green apple. I don't know if you've heard this phrase before. It's a harvest term that they use a lot. A red apple. I know there's green apples that can be ripe. So this is a red apple that's red delicious or something, okay? So just bear with me on this. But... When this apple gets ripe, it becomes this great color of red, right? And if you grab it early, it's like a greenish, and you bite into it, you get kind of the bitter sour. It's just not ready. You don't even have to tug, and the whole branch is coming down with it. It's not ready to come, right? The answer is not ripe. It doesn't mean it's not time to care for and nurture, but it's certainly not time for that soul to be committing their whole life and soul to Christ. As we talk to people, we just need to be aware that God is the Son. He is ripening. He is bringing them to Him over time. And it is our opportunity along the way to be able to share with them as He moves, as He guides. We have this great opportunity to see Him turn a heart from green to bright, vivid red. And in that moment, it just drops off the tree. You know what I'm talking about? The kind where you barely bump the branch and 15 apples fall off. You know those days we're talking about with the apple trees? Do you pick apples? 
Everybody's kind of looking at me. Does it, do you pick apples? I mean, come on, where you bump the tree and like 15 of them drop and you get a headache because you got hit on the head. Like those moments where you just kind of share and it just, bam, that's what we're talking about. Is some days you walk in and you share the love of Christ and 15 fall. Right that day, right then and there, I want to know it. Jonah walked in and shared 120,000. That's what it says in chapter 4. 120,000 turn towards Christ. We talk about Pentecost, 3,000. And a couple of days after that, they got up to 5,000. God was at work mightily. 120,000 say, God at work. God at work. When we come in and we share one sentence, and that's it, they're good to go. God at work. He is moving in the lives of our friends and family. And we have every opportunity to share a little bit and to watch a life turned for him. God is softening hearts. And all you need to do is be able to step up with a little bit of boldness and a little bit of direction and lead them to their loving Savior, God Almighty. God at work, softening hearts. Now, if there's times where you share and people aren't ready, great. That's a moment where you just continue to pray for them and you move forward. Look for where God is at work with red apples and continue to share and draw and harvest and share around. You're going to see where God wants you to be and you're going to see the message he wants you to share. It is the most exciting moment when you just say, let me just ask you a question. Would you like to know a little bit more about what God has to say about this from his Bible? And they go, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Then you flip it open and you read the first couple of verses to them. They go, that's great, but what about this? It's good. I got an answer for that. Let me show you this verse. And you walk them through and they end up accepting Christ. God at work, softening a heart. Please don't take that moment to go, man, I must be a pretty good negotiator. Okay? That's not what's going on. It's saying God has softened a heart and he has moved and all we do is share a little bit of truth. And he takes it and he dives it right as a dagger to the heart and turns them and stirs them towards him. That's the privilege we get, is to see the Almighty turning souls. Are you ready to see it? Are you ready to be a part of it? Because he's at work all over. I'm telling you, we already know of about 10 that have been saved in the last two or three weeks. Are you ready to be a part of it? God at work. Who is God working with that you know? Who can you share with? And as he begins to stir them and move them along the path, what role can you play in helping them take a step forward towards him? The third point, the result. God compassionately and mercifully, compassionately and mercifully forgives, offering new life in him. Compassionately and mercifully forgives. Notice in verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. When God saw what they did, not when God saw what they would do. Isn't that funny how God works? When God saw what they did. You see, God is all about walking us through an experience where we find out we need him. God is all about walking us through a moment where we find him all that we could, could ever want and be satisfied with. And in that moment, he turns from his other way and he shows us his merciful, gracious heart. Look what it says here. 
They turned from their evil way. So God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Does that make God a liar? So God said he's going to do it, and then he doesn't do it? What, what's going on with that? It's, what's going on? I can only tell you this. If God said, that's it, you're done, it's over, you're dead, they would have been that. <laughs> okay? What he said was, you have 40 days. And in that message is this. There is hope. There is a moment of chance of turning. We better figure out who he is and get in line with him. God was not at all in any way, shape, or form compromising his character. He instead had given fair warning and he was wooing hearts to him. He was sending someone to them to say, in this 40 days, respond, come to me. And they did exactly that. When we go out to share with friends, we need to understand that the result is completely up to God. That's what we need to do. If we go in saying the result is completely up to me, that's when we get petrified. You know what I mean? We get into those moments where we go, I don't know. What if I blow it? What if I blow it? The answer is you can't ever blow it more than God can fix it. Do you hear what I'm saying? God is at work and he's drawing people. What if I blow it? Well, Jonah ran the wrong, wrong way. How many days did he delay in getting there? God took care of the problem. Do you know what I'm saying? God is at work and all we have to do is step out boldly and share this truth. There's a God, and he loves you, and he loves you with all he's got. I'd love to introduce you to him. Would you like to get to know him a little better? Could I share with you a little bit of a truth of what I believe of God based on what I find in the Bible? Do you hear it? Jonah had a boldness he was supposed to deliver, okay? 40 days, and then you're overthrown, okay? Don't go in with that message. Can I just make that recommendation? That may not go over as well, all right? Make sure the message you're going with is a message God has given you to send. And he's given us the clear message of the gospel. The message is to walk in and say, there is a loving God who has for you the greatest life you could ever imagine. Would you like to have that life and know him deeply and richly? Would you like to bring honor and glory to your God for the rest of your life? We have that privilege. We have that joy. We can see that result as the merciful God shows himself mighty, mighty. What does it mean to be merciful? You know, there was this woman who, uh, her son was in Napoleon's army. True story. And uh, Napoleon, obviously a vicious man, right? This kid had stolen a couple of times. He had done some things that basically warranted death. And they were going to do that. And she approached Napoleon and she said, please, please be merciful to my son. Please be merciful to him. And Napoleon looked at him, probably something like this, right? And said, he doesn't warrant mercy. And she said, I know. That's the definition of mercy. Of course he doesn't deserve it. I'm asking you to lavish on him what he doesn't deserve and give him a second chance. Please be merciful to my son. And in that moment, Napoleon goes, good point. You have one more chance, but I'll give you a chance. I will spare your life. You have just experienced mercy. Live it accordingly. That is our call. You and me, we have been given a second chance. 
as we've gotten to know our Savior with all we have. We have been given a second merciful chance. May we live it for his glory. Not for our own glory, but for his glory. May we go passionately after sharing all about him. May our life be all about sharing the mightiness of our God, the truthfulness of our God, the hope of our God. May you find that way to enter into a friend's life where you're not bowling them over, but you're sharing the truth that you have found so life-changing. God is stronger than anything in this universe. He is mightier than anything in this world. Sin is broken and he is stronger. We serve the risen mighty savior and he's changing lives. He's changing them right here and right now. And you have the opportunity to be a part of that as you share the hope that you have with a friend, with a neighbor, with a family member, and you see them come to know him for the first time. And they look at you and go, I never knew it could be like this. You go, I know, that's what I was trying to tell you, right? One of those moments, eyewitness, watch God work. He is mighty to save and he is stronger than anything in this universe. Let me pray.